So now I have manifested this trip to India, and I know I made a deal with God, and off I went. Yes, no, I, I understand that I, I was hand-selected to channel this thing through. I don't remember in my, you know, my time in between lives, I don't remember saying, yes, I'll do this, but clearly I did. And I would read these passages going, I know, there's no way I wrote that. Like, where did mm. that come from? And that's why I know I had a lot of help from the other side. I'm so excited about this episode. We have one of our dear friends, Arielle Ford, who's written an amazing new book in a field that she doesn't usually excel in, the novel side of things. Instead of 11 nonfiction books, she's come out now with a novel. And there's so much juicy stuff about creativity in our session today and so much juicy spiritual nuggets, plus a lot of just fun conversation. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, my favorite part of this was uh, we really find out not just the origin story, why Ariel wrote it, but how she went about writing a novel in the first place. Because like Gay said, this isn't her usual go-to. And you'll also hear more about how this is being turned into an audiobook, most likely a movie at some point. But more importantly, how she figured out how to do this in the first place, because the story about writing a novel and the mechanics of it are really, really complex. How about you, Ariel? What was your favorite part of this episode? Why should people continue to watch or listen to it? My favorite part is the fact that I get to spend a whole hour with the two of you and that both of you as as friends and personalities and creative geniuses actually appear in the book. The wisdom that I've gotten from both of you is actually written into the storyline, even though it doesn't say, you know, this quote's from Gay Hendricks or this one's from Mike Phoenix. So um, it's, it's a book that's both... Uh, fun and funny as you said but it also has a lot of mystical and spiritual teachings that come in through the back door through my my heroine who is not a seeker she was not somebody looking for growth she was forced into it because her life fell apart in every possible way and she ended up in india and then the heavens opened up and she was gifted with all kinds of wisdom and changed her life Yep, and I will tell you this right now, besides just loving this episode, you might as well just head on over to thelovethief.com right now. Grab yourself a copy. Ariel's got some great bonuses, and it is a lot of fun. And then you get to think about and guess who's who inside that book and figure out who the characters are that Ariel based on the two of us. All right, you're going to love this episode. We'll see you on the inside. All right, we're here with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, the greatest manifester I've ever known, Arielle Ford, who just finished her latest book, her first novel, The Love Thief. And Gay and I are going to talk to her about that. We're not only going to talk about the origin story and what we love about this book, but also about writing a novel, which is, to me, seems like an insurmountable task. I put myself inside that, but Gay, you've written a whole bunch of novels and uh, Ariel, you've written yours. So first of all, thank you for being here. I've been looking forward to this so long and um, let's just dive in and talk about what this experience was like. So um, 
Gay, do you have any big questions that are on your mind that you think are really important other than the fact that, Ariel, thank you for being here. And why did you write this book in the first place? Well, I didn't want to write the book. It was absolutely never on my to-do list to write a novel. And uh, what happened was my husband, Brian, who you both know, walked into my office one day and he said to me, you know, you should write a book about me and it should be called I Married an Alien. And I was like, get out of here. I'm never, that's so stupid. Go away. And when he walked out of the room, I started thinking, well, if I were going to write a book about Brian, like, what would it be? And I realized it, the only thing it could be is about who he is as a human, because I call him my heart chakra on legs. Brian's gig in life is to make sure everybody he comes in contact with has the experience of being loved. So it would be a character, a loving character. And then I thought, but I'm not writing that book. And I went on to something else. The next day, the title for the book came to me. And the title at that time was The Love Walla. And in India, Walla is somebody who's the best at what they do. So Brian is a love walla. And I thought, wow, that's a cool title, but I'm not going to write a novel. The day after that, the first line of the book came, my mother was right. And I was like, oh, my God, that's an amazing opening line. My mother was right. And then the book started to download in my head like a movie. Okay, it could have been a spiritual cinema circle movie. I could see the movie and I could see that it takes place in Rishikesh. But I kept saying, no, no, I am not going to write a novel. I've already written 11 nonfiction books. Isn't that enough? And then I got an email from masterclass.com that said, Learn to write a thriller with Dan Brown. And I thought, I love Dan Brown. I bought the year pass. I'm signing up. And I yeah. sign up for this course. And uh, video number three, he's talking about location as a character in the book. Like mm. the Vinci Code, the location was Florence. Florence was a character in the book. And by that time, the movie in my head had already shown me it was going to be going to Rishikesh, India. And I thought, well, that's so fascinating. Rishikesh would be a character in the book I'm never going to write. Mm -hmm. And then the movie's going on and on and on. And I was getting really annoyed because I'm not going to write this book. And finally, I thought, the universe is speaking to me. What's it trying to say? And I, and I decided to talk to God. And I said, you know what? Okay, God, if I'm meant to write this book, then I'm going to manifest a business class ticket to India. I'm five foot eight. I cannot sit in coach for 21 hours. And I and I felt this great sense of relief. Ah, oh, that's never going to happen. I don't have to write this book. Well, two days later, I run into Mike. And Mike says to me, hey, Ariel, how are you? What are you up to? And I blurt out, oh, nothing. I'm just trying to manifest a trip to India. And he says, well, when do you want to go? And I give him some dates. He looks at his phone and he says, I'll take you. We had a great time last time we went to India. And it's like, shit. Yes, <laughs> but shit. And so now I have manifested this trip to India. And I know I made a deal with God. And off I went. At the last minute, poor Mike, he couldn't go. He had stuff to do. So I went by myself. And everything I saw in the movie in my head, I was tripping over in Rishikesh. I couldn't do anything but see the movie unfold before my eyes. Mm -hmm. And then four and a half years later, now it's finally a book. So that's a short story. 
Um, awesome. You know, as you, uh, if I heard you correctly, you heard a line in your head or saw a line in your head. Yes. Um, that jingled my memory button because uh, on one of my books, uh, one of my novel, mystery novels, it happened the same way. I heard a line in my head and I thought, what kind of a person would even say something like that? And then I started this dialogue and I found out who my character was, Sir Errol Hyde, who's kind of a Victorian dandy a uh, hundred and some years ago. Uh, he's a crosstown competitor to Sherlock Holmes. Anyway, um, the other one, the other series uh, about my uh, Tibetan Buddhist private detective, it didn't happen as a line of dialogue, but it happened as an image. I saw an image of this guy standing up on the bluffs in the Pacific Palisades, looking back toward Asia and saying, am I still an Asian or am I an American now? And that was what was going on with him. And then I found out, you know, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm uh, a private detective. And the whole thing unwound from there. And I was curious, in your origin story, did you begin to dialogue with the characters to find out about them? Or how did you go about that? They started talking to me. I felt like I was schizophrenic. I was invaded. You know, they were like introducing themselves. Well, I'm so-and-so, and this is what I've got to do. And and it was very distracting. I remember I had this lunch planned with James Von Prague. And I got I, I got in the car to go to lunch with James. And they started talking to me. And the next thing I knew, I was 20 minutes in the wrong direction, had never gotten off the freeway. And I only knew because James called and said, where are you? I'm at the restaurant. Where are you? And I was like, oh, my God. And, of course, I missed the lunch. But that's how annoying these characters became. This book was inside of me, kicking and screaming to come out. I had no choice about it. And you guys are so much a part of this book. I, I Mike knows because there's a character that we won't say how much of it is true, but there's a Mikey in the book. And Gay, you informed my hero. I mean, so much of the time I heard Gay Hendricks speaking to me and your words were coming out of my hero's mouth. So it's just such a joy to be sharing all of this with both of you because literally the book would not be what it is today without you two guys. Mm, well, I appreciate you saying that. Hey, you know, before we go any further, could you give us the two-minute plot sketch uh, so everybody oh, yeah. will have a picture yes. or two to hang that on? Yeah, so it's a romantic spiritual thriller with a very juicy revenge subplot and a surprise happy ending. And the tagline is, he, he, stole, he, he broke her heart, he crushed her dreams, and then karma intervened. Yeah. Mm, and my, so everybody's got to know what that karma is. Right. Well, I have a, a Hollywood producer who's going to turn it into a limited series. And she accurately calls the book. She says it's Eat, Pray, Love meets Dirty John. And that is exactly what it is. Uh, that's a fantastic uh, pitch line. I love that. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see that. Um, I've been to Rishikesh, India. And it was a very formative place in my life because um, I learned TM way back there 50 years ago. And then I always wanted to go see 
where all that sort of thing came from. And so it was a real transformative journey uh, for me to get up there. I don't know if I'd recognize it today from where it was 40 years ago, which was the last time I think I you there. would. Yeah. I think you would, yes. You know, there's mm-hmm. ashrams everywhere, the Gang- Ganga's flowing through the middle. The Beatles ashram, which what they now call the TM place, hasn't really changed. It's just overgrown. You know, it's not act it's 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 marinating, you know. But yeah, I think you oh. would totally recognize it. There's there's no fancy hotels. There is one very high priced place an hour away, but Rishikesh itself, I don't think has changed much in 40 years. When I was in India, I was doing it the uh, long hair, granny glasses, backpacker, dope smoking way. And so I don't think I ever stayed in a hotel that was cost more than five bucks. And maybe a lot of them cost two bucks up in the outback of the Himalayas there. Um, Well, I found Rishikesh a really fascinating place. And um, I'd forgotten about the word Walla until you mentioned it, but my favorite restaurant in Rishikesh was Chotiwala. I don't know if it's still there or not, um, but uh, Choti means food and Wala means, you know, the guy that brings the food very well and all that. Um, So uh, what was your process like in writing this novel? You know, it was so different because in nonfiction, I sit down every day and I write 500 words a day. And in six months I have a book and, and it, it's, I don't know, sort of structured. This was not structured because I I never really believed I was going to finish it. And I would just sort of, you know, I would sit in the bathtub every morning and think, okay, well, this is what happened to Holly yesterday. What's going to happen to her today? And then ideas would just come to me and I would just write. And then the really crazy thing that happened was I turned into this very insecure geeky person who needed constant reassurance and feedback. So I started sending my early pages to all my friends because I had, you know, I know that I'm a strong nonfiction writer, but I had no way to know if the story I was telling was interesting or if it was good. So I would send it to my friends and then they would send me an email. Oh God, I hated your villain from page one. It's great. Keep going. Or I'd send it to somebody else. And then I would print out the emails and I'd put them all around my office. And every time I got insecure, I'd start reading again. So it really, it really revealed a a part of myself that I had to learn to love because I'm not used to being insecure. If anything, I'm overconfident most of the time. It's like, I know I'm good at what I do and I know how to do shit. But this, you know, I I was telling somebody the other day, it's kind of like, you know, when I when I try to explain the difference between writing nonfiction and fiction for me, the only the only meeting point was that there are words in both. Other than that, they're they're it's totally different stuff. It's like I could be the best person in the world at doing Manny Petties. And then someday Gay walks in, hands me a scalpel and says, tomorrow you do brain surgery. That's the leap of writing for me, for writing fiction. Wow. I've I've got one for you. Oh, go ahead, Gay. Yeah, And uh, beginning to end, how long did it take you? Four and a half years. Because I was writing and rewriting and editing, and my agent was really pushing me. I had two different outside editors and two different book doctors, and I wrote a lot of it uh, during the pandemic. So there was a whole pandemic theme that went through it, 
And then once uh, I got to the next version of the ending, one of the book doctors said to me, every mention of the pandemic's got to go. We're all sick and tired of the pandemic. We don't want to hear about it ever again. So I basically had to rewrite every page to take out the references and the storylines. So it was it was a very, very long process uh, because I was learning how to write. You know, I, I, the whole show don't tell, that doesn't really exist in nonfiction. You know, right. dialogue doesn't really exist. Uh, the one book, I have a book here. I'm going to show it to everybody. This is the book that saved my life. It's called The Emotion Thesaurus. Mm. And on every page, let's see. Okay. Uh, you want to show disgust. So the definition of disgust is in here, and then it gives you all the physical uh, things about what disgust is. So if you have to describe, you know, Gay was really disgusted with Katie about such and such. So hands up, backing away with a shudder, you know, dry washing the hands, whatever. This is basically how I learned to write dialogue. They should have given us one of those when we were uh, learning therapy back in my therapy training days. That would have saved everybody a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's a it's a trip, I have to say. But now that it's done, now that it's done, I can I can say lots of good things, which a I'm very proud of myself that I did it. I got it done. I'm happy with the book. I love the cover. Love, love, love the cover. The longest chapter in the book is the acknowledgments. (laughs) <laughs> because I had so much help. I had to have everybody uh, thank me. So it's it's turned out to be one of the biggest, best things I've ever done. But the actual process was pure torture. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully you learned enough about yourself along the way to make the torture worth the while, because yeah. God seems to have a vested interest in getting this book out into the world. Yes. No, I, I understand that I, I was hand-selected to channel this thing through. I don't remember in my, you know, my time in between lives, I don't remember saying, yes, I'll do this. But clearly I did. And clearly you guys signed up to be a part of it. So uh, I'm just taking direction at this point. You know, people keep saying, well, what's the sequel? I was like, I don't want to have that conversation. Let me, let me, you know, raise this one right right now we you know the water broke and the baby came out you know let's let's get a little further down the road before we talk about would i do it again because sitting here today i'd have to say no i can't mm-hmm. imagine doing it again yeah i've heard that one before um ever since i met you it's always this is the last book i'm ever going to write i'm never going to do this again and you create a new adventure in your head that makes it fun for you so it's not you know, hellacious. Well, I, I, will, I will admit the title has already shown up <laughs> and the yeah. title's so good, but yeah. I, but I, the movie hasn't started. So if the movie starts, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That, which, which kind of brings us to um, one of the things that's on your mind is doing a, uh, can we talk about the audiobook a little bit? Yeah. The vision yes. for that. Okay. So yeah. I'll, I'll set it up a little bit because um you love entertainment and the fact that you saw this as a movie, I think speaks volumes and um, you and Brian, well, all of us are huge movie fans. You know, we just love uh, the journey and the variety and this thing lends itself very, very well, especially when you read it to not only being a great 
audio book, especially the way you're visualizing it, but a movie as well. And I was just uh, gone this past weekend and a friend of mine uh, created a play. I saw it for the first time and it's a play about Lloyd Price who was the first entertainer that's he did uh Lottie Miss Claudie uh, and, and personality. Those were two of those hits, but he did many, many, many hits, but he's the first entertainer um, who created his own record label. And he happens to be African-American. He also did a show called turntable that was broadcast live from uh, New York city. He did a ton of firsts. He helped uh, Sam Cook um, early on and, and many, many, many uh, people really create their careers in music, but he also inspired a lot of African-Americans who reached financial independence by modeling him. So I bring all that up only because at this moment, we have a writer's strike going on. We've got an actor's strike going on at this point in history. A lot is changing in entertainment and you have a tendency to lead the way as a visionary, even if it's as an accidental visionary. So I'm just curious what shows up when you hear all that stuff for you with regards to uh, both the audiobook, the movie, and what's going to go on? What could happen in the entertainment world? Well, well, the, the movie is on hold right now. Nothing's happening at all. But the audiobook, I'm going to start moving forward on because uh I there are plenty of voice actors that are not part of SAG or or the writers group and and it's, the the words exist I've already written the words so mm-hmm. my vision for the audiobook is that it be a full cast audio every character will have his or her own voice there'll be a soundtrack and there'll be sound effects because it's India and there's no more greater place for sound effects and so I already have uh, my you know, Sadviji, you know, at her ashram, she has a huge AV department. They're already capturing the sound effects and the soundtrack of RT and all the music they have every day. They're already giving me original music to use for that. I've already found a casting director. I've already got the sound guy who's going to, has a long history in the edit thing. And now I'm trying to learn as best I can all the pieces that we need. Like we had to make, um, a character breakdown in order to do the mm-hmm. casting, which means I have to give a description as, you know, who is Holly like in terms of a Hollywood person? What does she sound like? Here are samples of that actress on interviews. What for the audition tape, you know, what dialogue do we want to have them record? And then this is the hard part. I have to come up with the exact word count of every single character. And then also where are the characters conversing so that we can figure out how to pay them because they get paid either by the word, the hour or the day. Right. And then we have to structure the schedule because even though it can all be done remotely now, You know, so I have to become a line producer and project managing is not my thing. I'm a creative. I don't want to be a project manager. But having talked to your friend, I can't remember his name, and some other people, there isn't exactly a line producer out there that's done this level of full cast Mm -hmm. audio that I want, uh, that has experience. So I'm going to have to figure this part out. And then maybe you guys can hold the space for me. My dream for this audiobook is that I win the Grammy for best spoken word. Mm. You know, as you're telling that story, um, you know, there is a a talent 
pool that you could draw from, which is public radio has been producing talkie style shows for a long time. There are editors out there and I would look up, um, I'll think of the name in a second, but there are a couple well-known um, uh, FM NPR shows that are like, if you go back to Garrison Keeler, I mean, that was performance plays as radio. And I, I would bet you can find some people who would love to do something like this, who well, know how to create what used to be old tiny radio. Right. But it's the project manager, hold all the pieces, you mm-hmm. know, tell everybody when to show up person, you know, cause yeah. the same guy that I've got, and I'll, I'll send you his credentials are phenomenal, you mm-hmm. know, and I've already, there's, there's a new audio book out called, Oh God, I'm not going to think of the name of it now, but Nicole Kidman, is the lead character in it. And she plays a psychiatrist who has a young girl patient who basically talks to dead people. And I listened to the sample of it. And of course it's got music and sound effects. And I thought this is the gold standard of where I want to be. This is the level of drama in the conversation. Even though you can't see it, you can feel every piece of it and the music works so well. So I have this big vision and I have a very, very tiny budget because I'm funding this thing. So mm-hmm. um, this is my my next big project. I'm super excited about it. Uh, you know, there's a part of in my head that says, don't you think you should go back to work and earn some money? And then there's this other part. It's like, yeah, someday, but I got to do this first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, I've got one more uh story related question which is pick your favorite chapter or scene what is it and why oh i can that's so easy i'll tell you exactly what do you want me to read it to you sure yeah <laughs> okay let me let me figure and out what I, I have another question for you too once you finish that where yeah. is it let's see did i put it in here you know i don't remember where it is but my favorite scene is so so holly is gone to India. Her heart is broken. She's on this roller coaster of sadness and depression and betrayal and grief. And when she's not there, she's in extreme anger and rage and intensity and hate and wants revenge more than anything. And, you know, now she's with this Brian like character, this who I've named Deepak because in India, Deepak's just like John or Bob or Steve. It's a very common name. And he's her her love walla and she basically says to him you know i just want to be loved you know why can't i just be loved did barry ever really love me barry's the toxic narcissist and so deepak explains to her the 101 about toxic narcissists how charming and smart they are and charismatic and blah blah blah, blah. and and at the end of it he says to her oh she says did he ever love me Mm. And Deepak says to her, asking a man like this to love you is like asking a man with no arms to hold you. Simply impossible. Mm. And that's the start. That's the turning point to her growth where she starts to really see that her lifelong dream of the white picket fence and Prince Charming on a white horse is just a myth. And that's not what love really is. Okay, we're sitting around the casting table, and 
we've got a bunch of eight by 10 glossies of very prominent actresses. Um, who are a couple of them that could play your leading uh, character? Yes. And let me just find my breakdown because I've, I've done all that thinking, but of course I can't remember thing, anything anymore. Um, oh gosh. Um, I, I'm going to have to find this document because literally all those names I have and I have forgotten them. Okay, there's a file on here somewhere called audio. Where is it? I don't know. Oh, oh, oh. sorry. Sorry, guys. I kissed. All right. I can't pull it up. Where is it? Let me search this way under. Well, uh, while, while she's looking, I'm going to continue the entertainment so that you'll just interrupt us. So, Gay, when you listen to this, What's showing up for you? Are you inspired uh, to create something different or new? Is this uh, how is this resonating with you as a creator and a storyteller? Well, good question because I'm in a very different place. In 2012, I just got this novel writing bug, and it only took me a couple of months to write my first one, and then. I was going to rest for a couple of days, but then I'd already thought of how the next one went. And so I literally started the next day working on the next one. And so within the first six months, I'd written, you know, two and a half mystery novels. And it was like I was on fire and just couldn't stop. And I went that way through uh, really eight, two of which are not published yet. And I was just on fire with them. For some reason, that that has concluded. I I can't imagine ever writing another one of those. And the same thing with my Sir Errol Hyde character. I've written five about him, and um, they are at a completion now. I, I told the story, and I told the story of the uh, Tibetan Buddhist detective. I brought them all in for a landing, you know, and so uh, they're there. And I, I frankly, I can't even remember writing them. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it's a pretty extreme thing to do mm-hmm. to crank out a dozen novels in ten years or so. Uh, but uh, I, I really, I was so consumed in it, I just don't remember at the moment the actual act of writing them all. Mm. Okay, I found it. I found okay, it. Okay, go for it. So my lead character, Holly, my ideal actress would be Kristen Bell. I mean, she kind of looks like her and she talks like her and, you know, she's she's been out there a long time. I really like her. And for Barry, the villain, the toxic narcissist, I'll be so disappointed if it isn't Bear, uh, isn't Bobby Cannavale. You know, <laughs> I think he's just perfect for it. Um, so those are two. And then uh, Holly's mother, uh, I, I would really love to have somebody like a Laura Dern. So I've been able to put all this into the breakdown so we can get that sort of feel and that sort of thing. But I'm glad I don't work in casting for a living. I mean, it's it's not easy. And and the way my casting directors described it is, you know, he's going to go out wide to hundreds of people and they're going to send in tapes, audition tapes, and then he's going to do the first cut and then give me a bunch to choose from. Does mm-hmm. this sound like the right voice? And, um, you know, and then I also found out that because voice actors are actors, one person could potentially play 
uh, you know, five different roles. And yeah. uh, for your role, Mike, I'm, it's a Neil Patrick Harris kind of person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because in the book, you're gay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. I'm uh, I'm good with that. It's um, I that you did such a great job. I wish there will be a time when we can talk about, um, you know, the basis no, of where no, that came no, from. No, we really can't. I, we have all kinds of disclaimers in the book that it's a work of fiction. And yeah. even though it was inspired by actual events, names and circumstances <laughs> haven't changed. And my, my entertainment attorney had me spend a ton of money buying errors and omissions insurance. And so, so it's a work of fiction. It's just a but, fictional but I, work. But I based the character on my Mikey. So, yeah. We had a lot of fun and it'll make for, um, it made for great cocktail discussion on uh, when, you know, you had the Warwick's book tour, which um, is a 125 year old bookseller, one of the last and oldest independent booksellers in the world, uh, which is such a treat. And you did such an amazing job performing. And, and I, you're such a great speaker. It was great to watch you. And I have a follow-up question that's not exactly related, but any commentary about the book lunch party and who was there? Cause you had uh, a taste and a piece of so many of your um, best of friends and connections that go back many decades. Yeah, I don't even say how long for some of them, but. No, it was the Warwick's event was really a a highlight in my life. It was so much fun. There were 75 people. I knew all of them. I've known some of them for decades. So it was a very warm crowd. And um, it was just it was just so much fun just to be in such a friendly atmosphere where, you know, basically all I had to do was stand there and people were laughing. It was just it was just a big giggle. It was super fun. I haven't planned any other book events because uh, there's no way I'm going to get 75 people in Phoenix or Boulder, you know, or St. Oh. Louis. And so I'm not going to go on any kind of tour, but it was fun. I am doing a bunch of podcasts. And, and what's really gratifying about the podcast is that unlike a book tour where you used to do a lot of radio shows and your publicist would send a list of questions and they would just run down the list of questions. They never read your book ever. Yeah. So to be doing podcasts with people who have read the book and like the book, it's just so much more fun because they have their own particular what they liked, you know, what really moved them, you know, ask interesting questions. So that's been really fun, you know, being able to interact with people that have actually read the book. Yeah, it was so much fun. Well, I'm going to um, uh ask another question if that's okay gay um that will lead into a good setup for you i think which is um channeling characters and storytelling and um now i've been reading the dune series which to me is one of the most amazing um works of fiction ever it's so beautiful and complex and the level of you, you literally your mind paints a picture of a beautiful movie and you're experiencing so many different points of view and so many different eyeballs. And the other one that I really love, and it's a great series on Apple TV. 
I know you're not a science fiction fan, but it's the it's the characters and storytelling that matter. But it's it's Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. Again, really, really complex psychology, human psychology. And that to me is what fiction and novels are all about is just the complexities and nuances of humans. And I'm curious, like when you're channeling the characters and Gay mentioned something along those lines, he said, I don't even remember writing this stuff. So talk about like the spiritual practice of writing and um, how your brain actually goes in and taps into something that is truly universal God consciousness. Um, I'm curious for both of you what that's like, but Ariel, you first. Well, even, you know, I had to read the book so many times doing the line edit because, you know, I was so spoiled. I've always had big publishers, you know, by the time I got a book, it was just, you know, answer these questions, but I had to read it over and over and over looking for every missing space and comma. And I would read these passages going, I know there's no way I wrote that. Like, where did Mm. that come from? Like, did I go into some hyper state into another dimension where I channeled it? And so that, that's been sort of a spooky experience, you know, because it's like, really, I, and that's why I know I had a lot of help from the other side. So the whole experience for me has been a spiritual growth evolution uh, because I don't, cons- I mean, yeah, I, my imagination isn't really big enough to have created this. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the same way I feel, too, because, you know, I know what my imagination is like, but some sort of thing happened where I go into a different space and then it just comes. And, you know, like um, on a couple of my books, I've been right at the end and it, it hadn't revealed itself yet how to put all the pieces together. And so just having to hang out in that void, in that creative void, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, somewhere out of nowhere, it all comes together. And I know, you know, part of it at least is happening in my brain, but I don't even recognize that part of my brain that can do that kind of thing. So I know we have to have help from something else. You just reminded me of something. So I, I, I told you in the, that in the beginning, the title of the book was The Love Walla. Mm-hmm. What I didn't tell you is when I got it to a UK book doctor, when it came back, they, they strongly recommended I change the title. And I was like, oh, but I'm so attached to the title. Why? And they said, well, in the UK, calling somebody a walla is a racial slur. So the UK publishers won't buy the book with that title. So as I got really to the very end of the final editing thing, I knew I needed a new title. And I was sitting up in bed one night. It was like midnight. Brian was sound asleep. It was dark outside. And and I started talking to my dead sister. And I was like, Debbie, I have this idea for a title, but I don't know if it's the title. It's The Love Thief. If that's the title, could you send me a sign? And instantly I saw a falling star. And that's what uh I knew. You know, so yes, we were definitely getting help from the other side. Well, also, that is such a great title, too. When I first saw it, I thought, wow, you know, it's it's so easy to see that in a movie, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that? <laughs> yeah. 
I agree. So um, we've talked about what next, which is, I don't know. I got to get past this first. We've talked about the audio book. We talked about the movie, which is on hold. And um, if there were to be a sequel, what could happen next? Like, how could this turn into a series or, um, you know, just imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, somebody at that book signing, Mike, you might might remember Oric said, you know, you're known as a spiritual person and yet you're writing about revenge. How do you make all that fit? Oh, that's so good. It was awesome. My newsletter tomorrow is all about my confession, my dark side, because I love true crime. You know, I love murder and mayhem. Uh, and and I and and I also uh, okay, you'll get this guy. I don't know if Michael will get this, but my dream job had I lived in the late 60s would have been to be part of Nixon's special tricks committee. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Because the whole concept of revenge and getting back at people really appeals to me. So the sequel would be about, you know, looking like your really nice, typical soccer mom who by day and by night, she's the queen of revenge. So something, something in that would work because, you know, as my sister taught, you know, we are both the dark and the light. And still to this day in 2023, most people don't want to admit to their dark side. Well, not you, Mike, because that's one of the first things you share with us. But, <laughs> but, you know, but it's, you know, for me, I think it's really important that we acknowledge. And then, and the other part of it is that, you know, especially when it comes to karma, you know, people think they need to be really careful because they don't want to accrue bad karma. I once, uh, I was once in one of my revenge modes and I, I was saying to, to uh, who was it? Stuart, Stuart, who's our friend Stuart from TLC, Stuart and Joni Emery. Emery. So yeah, I was yeah. saying to Stuart Emery, well, I really wanted to hire a hitman to take care of so-and-so, but I didn't want to accrue the bad karma. And Stuart said to me, well, when I was in India with whatever guru he was seeing at the time, he said, we were taught that it's the role of the spiritual warrior to take out the threat to the community. And by taking out a person like that, you would not incur bad karma because you would do, you would be doing something good. And ever since Stuart shared that with me, it sort of shifted my whole take of, you know what, if you are eliminating somebody who's doing harm, then that's a good act. Then you are a spiritual warrior. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's my answer. Yeah, no, I, I, as you were talking about that, the setup for that would be a priest, a rabbi, nun, and hitman walk into a bar. <laughs> and uh, what they do is they become the team. And there's some series, I'm trying to think of what it is, but there's a series where um, they're <clears throat> not necessarily real but they they are hitmen and one of them is an is a priest one of them is a nun and um they all are basically hitmen who um are doing all sorts of chaotic things and it's all uh revenge that you look at it you're like yep 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 that's fine you know you you like the bad people are so bad you're just like yep they're just getting what they deserve well, that's why and i that- always like that series that now um Queen Latifah's taken over for TV, but it was a movie 
uh, oh God, what's the name of that thing? Where where he's bringing justice to the universe. It was where she is. She's the person you go to when nobody else can help you. Oh God, my poor memory. Anyway, mm-hmm. I like what you're saying, Mike. I love that. A priest, a guru, a nun, yeah. and a man walk into a bar. That's my kind of book or show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that. I, it's a, it sounds like that uh, thing where uh, a priest and nun uh, walk into a bar and the bartender says, what is this? Some kind of joke? <laughs> it is it's a great setup okay well um i wrote uh, by the way speaking of setups i wrote a screenplay once never got anywhere with it um called torment and Mm. it was about this subject it was about a service that you could buy so that after your death it would be like a little insurance policy but after your death this company would go out of its way to torment people that had pissed you off during your lifetime. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. I would watch that in a heartbeat. The show I was thinking of is called the equalizer, but it was a series of oh, yeah. movies first. So the equalizer was a hitman. He was taking yeah. people out, but you were rooting for him. The people oh, he was yeah. taking out so deserved it. Yeah. The Punisher was another one, a Marvel version of that same theme. And, um, yeah, there have been a few of those. So it, it is like such a great universal uh, theme. Here's another one. This is a distant one, but I just watched a movie called Sisu, S-I-S-U. And basically it is a fin during right around the end of World War II. And it's basically this guy who's got nothing left to uh, who's basically had found some gold. He's just a barely survivor from the war. And Nazis come along and steal it from them and all hell breaks loose. And everyone who's seen it's like, yep, you just can't, you can't go wrong with uh, a Nazi revenge movie. And um, <laughs> I think that it's, it's, it's fantastic. By the way, I looked at the preview. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to watch this, but it's fantastic. Oh, um, SISU. Yep. But um, I think there's, there's so much to go on here because you can, you literally can go from a love story to a revenge story and, and build on that. You know, there's, there's a, a bajillion different kinds of directions. It's just a matter of, you know, knowing who your audience is, which is maybe my last question I have for you is who have you imagined the reader, the consumer of this book to be, who is the perfect buyer um, who's the kind of person who's just going to love this and uh, and at the end go, God, I'm so sad it's over with. I want more. You know, um, I really feel like I know my reader. I think they're my friends. You know, these are people who uh, love a good book. They like a good beach read. And they also are interested in in the woo-woo part of life and and some growth and they and they love to travel and they like to cook because there are recipes in the book. My heroine's oh, yeah. Rishikesh going to cooking school. So there's plenty of recipes in there. So it's, you know, um it, it's part I think, you know, Eat Pray Love Meets Dirty John is really the best description of it. You know, if you like those kinds of things, if you enjoy reading uh, people have told me they've they've read it in one or two days. It's a very fast paced, fast moving thing. And one of the best lines I got was from our friend uh, Natalie Ledwell, who said that uh, 
this book leaves you so completely satisfied, you'll want a proverbial cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I love that. That's great. Well, that's fantastic. Well, we yeah. really wish you well with it. It's a very exciting book and very exciting process. And, uh, you know, Fran Leibowitz says uh, most people, if they get the urge to write, should just lie down and eat something sweet until the feeling passes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, glad, agree, I agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't do that, though. I'm glad yeah. you persevered because uh, you came out uh, the other side happy and healthy and whole and with a great uh, new story to share with the world. Thank you. And I'm so grateful to both of you because really, I don't know that you'll ever get how much of you two are infused in that story. Happy to donate well, a part of myself to it. That's great. Always proud. Yeah, to be associated it's the most effortless give ever. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, it's good. And when I, uh, when you told me that I was in there, but you wouldn't tell me what, who I was, you know, I, I had to sit and stew for a little while going, Oh no, what did I do now? Um, but, uh, um, I had a moment of feeling like I was 12 and got caught doing something terrible. Um, my mom used to say Michael Arnold Koenigs and I knew I was in big trouble, but, um, <clears throat> uh, so Obviously, people can go to thelovethief.com. Can't believe you got that domain because it's like, God, it's such a good name. Um, yeah. They can get the book. They can get a whole bunch of cool bonuses that you give away. Um, and of course, we're going to ask that they leave a fabulous five-star comment and review because that right now is one of the things you need to get are more reviews for this book. Yeah. But um, what else would you like to share about uh, you know, the reason why they should go grab this right now. In fact, I'm telling you to do it. <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of like, it's, it's like a, it's like a healthy meal that tastes good, right? There's a lot of good mm. juicy life nuggets in there, but you may not want to sit down and read a how to book, but mm. then it's all delivered through the back door through this, story about this interesting woman whose life is falling apart, who ends up, you know, having all her dreams come true, just not in the way she planned to have them happen. Good. Great work. Thanks a lot for sharing it with us, Ariel. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right on. All right. Well, I'll wrap this thing up with, um, you know, exactly what to do. It rhymes with go by love thief now.com. No, the love thief.com. Grab the book. Um, Maybe get two copies, send one to your friends. You know, it's super easy to give gifts when you've got Amazon Prime and make sure you head over and leave that review as well. Um, it is, it really is a very fun, funny read. And I can't say what chapter I'm in there, but uh, you won't have to guess very long. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then it's none of it's true. None of it's true. Okay. Just for the record. Um, and uh, it is, it's fun. And you're supporting one of my favorite people in the universe. Who's one of the greatest manifestors. And if she wouldn't be such a great manifestor, she wouldn't have gotten that ticket for free in the first place. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I had forgotten I had bought that for you until you told the story. I'm like, yeah. And I don't remember what was going on, why I couldn't go at that point and visit, uh, with you. But, um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to heading back and I hope we can go to India again sometime together soon. So with that, this is the big leap. It's been an absolute pleasure spending time with you. I hope you share this episode with someone you love and care about. And of course, 
Gay and I love your comments, feedback, and five-star reviews as well, because that helps more people find this show. So thank you, Ariel. Thank you, Gay. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks so much.